0: The best meditator tonight gets to take home a stuffed animal. <laughs> um, I don't know if our beloved Eno told you, but I think we have a uh, summer school class that meets. Vacation Bible, Bible School. Is that what it is? Vacation Bible School. Are you one of the teachers? <laughs> it's. Uh, it's. I think it's. It's marvelous the stuff they do here i think is quite quite marvelous but it was a real interesting experience walking in here kind of oh <laughs> learn green live green quite by chance tonight's topic is about engagement how do we live in the world We've been spending a fair amount of time going through a series of uh, qualities, per se, that can help support uh, being in the world in ways where we manifest. We actually manifest realization, and uh, we called it uh, passage. We are all going through, or endeavoring at least, to go through a passage and it takes a form of uh we'll begin with presence and then the a was accountability s surrender s stillness a all knowing or knowing the all okay g last week generosity and then e engagement So how do we engage realization? For that matter, what is realization? What is enlightenment? What is awakening? I think the best definition I've ever heard is that uh, awakening is consciously living from a space of not clinging, not clinging. In other words, that we're not holding on. A lot of people say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, some attachment is really healthy. I mean, if you even look psychologically, if you look at development for kids, for instance, there's healthy attachment and then there's unhealthy attachment and so forth. Well, what we're looking at here is, um, and we, we want to be really careful of the language, we're looking at not clinging. Okay? We're not gripping. We're not holding fast or holding tight. What we are able to do is let go and support. And this is a very, very powerful and indeed loving way of moving through the world. If you really love someone, for instance, we've discussed this before, you don't cling to them, you dance with them whether they are a child, or they are an intimate, or they are, or it is an idea, whatever. We don't cling, but rather at our best, we actually help support by dancing. And what is more of an engagement than dancing? How is it that we can live in the world from this place of conscious openness, If we can look at enlightenment, it's kind of there are two parts to it, I think. It's not only consciously living from a place of non-clinging. It's also living from this place of non-clinging at the most radical level. We're not clinging to our thoughts. We're not clinging to our emotions. We're not clinging to our bodies. We're not clinging to time. And in this process, as we begin to kind of surrender, what inevitably happens is we feel this amazing, powerful compulsion to share. That the sharing is actually quite natural, and it comes in the form, typically, of compassion. Compassionate activity. Another quick definition for you. Compassion, we can always look at as being love without any bit Of hate mixed in. Or love without any attachment mixed in. Have you ever had a friend or you yourself been in a situation where the relationship is a love hate relationship? That's a very nice way of saying the relationship is an egoic negotiation wherein. We are constantly gauging where the other is coming from. If they're giving us what we need, it's called love. If they're not giving us what we need or what we want, it's called hate. And we are talking about something that is way beyond that when we speak of compassion. Compassion allows us to see ourselves as and through another. So, as this realization of openness, this realization of non clinging begins to, if you will, pervade our experience as we walk through this passage, it's very easy for us to engage. It's not work, it's what we do, it's very natural. And people who can really engage from a deep, deep realized place change history. I was having a conversation with a marvelous, (coughs) marvelous individual uh, a couple weekends ago. His name is uh, Dr. Roger Walsh, teaches down at uh, uh, UC Irvine. And um, we were looking at, uh, uh, the conversation at least was about ethics Generosity and how they tend to merge and so forth, and then we talked about uh, uh, the idea of engagement and so forth. I was I was telling him this is what we we're doing in, in sangha, and uh, he mentioned that um, <laughs> if you look at if you look at engagement as a form of spiritual activism, you can get into some really really interesting stuff. And as our conversation kind of progressed it became very, very clear that the durability of an activist's engagement, the durability of their work is directly related to their level of consciousness as they engage. Look, for instance, at, I mean, the classic case, Dr. King, okay, or I'll say cases, Dr. King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. I mean, they fundamentally altered the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at each other, yeah? And they did so because they were able to bring an incredible awareness into their activism. And if you... You know, you don't want to go historical or anything. One of the people who I think did a great job of this, a uh, uh, contemporary bodhisattva, one of my favorite, um, <laughs> one of my, I'm very biased, but uh, Bill Walsh, coach of the 49ers. And one of the things that Walsh was known for among, among his players is those guys across the line, they are not your enemy. They are not your enemy. They are your opponent. And as such, you bring out their best game. Hmm. Quite generous, actually. Now, of course, they went and slaughtered each other out on the football field and so forth, which I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm biased. It's probably in my genetic wiring. I find it to be quite fun to watch and listen to. Um, but nonetheless, this is a very, very powerful thing for each of us to take into our worlds, whether we are football players or we are just trying to eke out a living or we are trying to figure out what to do with our last remaining years or we are trying to touch lives professionally whatever it is, whatever it is that we are doing if we can bring this realization into the world and begin to dance with all beings we are now embodying the truth that lies beyond name and form. We are engaging. So when you sit tonight, for those 30 minutes that you're just kind of sitting still, can you be as fully engaged with your life as possible? Just be right here with the temperature, with your thoughts, with your bodies, with these adorable stuffed animals. Can you just be and not try to do anything? Don't try to attain anything. Don't try to get. Instead, can you let go? And in that letting go, you might be amazed. change depends upon the level of consciousness of the agent making that change. And making that change is engagement. It's all change. Can we dance with it? And this goes back to this idea of, uh, you know, I've spoken quite a bit about activism. I know that um, uh, many of the people in this room, uh, myself included, have, have been involved uh, in, for instance, either protest or conscientious objection. Some of us have been thrown in the slammer. I don't think you've really lived until you've gone to jail for a cause. I, I really, you know, that's my own attachment, But uh, <laughs> but how can we do this? How can we engage? How can, how can, for instance, we as, if, if you will, our, our orientation, while our orientation is Buddhist, we typically don't refer to ourselves necessarily as a Buddhist organization. That said, the, the criticism that uh, uh, I have withstood repeatedly is oh, Buddhist, oh, where everything's just fine all the time. <laughs> you know? Oh, I suppose, you know, racism's okay. Uh -uh. Uh-uh, you know, of course not, of course not. And in my humble opinion, I also don't think that uh, it's all right that someone should be denied marriage based on their sexual orientation. That's just my bias. Is it right? I don't know. I don't care. It's not whether it's right or wrong as much as can you bring your full awareness into whatever situation you meet. Because if you bring your full awareness into any situation you meet, the very obvious thing that shows up spontaneously is wisdom, openness, the recognition that we're all in this together. And once that occurs, the natural activity that comes from that wisdom is compassion. What's the most generous thing? What's the most generous thing for all concerned? I think that's one of Rotary's five. Is that about right, sir? Is that one of them? What's the most generous thing for all concerned? Well. Just say yeah. Just say yeah. (laughs) Yes. Oh, is it kind? Kindness. Is it kind to all? Now, see, I don't care about kindness. (laughs) Kindness is for wussies as far as I'm concerned. But compassion on the other, teasing compassion <laughs> Skip you could have just said yeah we would have <laughs> Next time uh... say benefit Be- to all concerned Benefit to all concerned excellent excellent and that and actually well, that works beautifully He's my stepdad so I get to get to <laughs> um my point is that from the awakened perspective from the perspective of enlightenment our living should not be about hiding or going away instead it should go in the other direction the cool thing about following this passage is that it doesn't allow for any of us to hide anymore We can't hide from ourselves, even our shadow. Where there is tremendous light, folks, you're going to have shadows. Even our shadow can no longer linger if we're approaching this with our full intentionality, with our complete dedication and diligence. It's the most visible part of our practice is how we meet the world. So as a stillness, uh, practice begins to kind of uh, inform us as we begin to surrender, as we remain accountable to every single thing, we recognize that it's no one else's fault. We bring our presence to every single situation. We truly show up. Naturally, some stuff starts to happen. We start seeing that action that comes from an integrated embodiment will always be compassionate. That becomes very natural. We start to see it. We start to see it in ourselves. We start to experience it fully. We recognize that behavior that is sourced by the clarity of what is beyond time and mind is behavior that will touch lives in really powerful and profound ways it's a way of being generous. It's a way of benefiting all concerned. We begin to recognize that orientations guided by diligence, discipline, and resolve actually carry us in really, really profound ways. This by the way is a huge sticking point for a lot of people, especially Westerners. I don't like being told what to do. Okay, shut up and sit down. No, I, no. I'm not going to meditate now. Okay. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. That was the most difficult thing for me. I did not wake me up at 4 freaking 15 in the morning. And I don't have enough time to get tea. And now you want me to sit on my ass in a freezing cold Zendo. What fun is this? Well, it's not about fun. It's about awakening. Oh, Okay. But that, that lesson again and again and again, that actually when we submit in some capacity to the profound nature of the teaching, when we begin to honor what is beautiful in others and begin to recognize that it's part of who we are, that's what a bow is, by the way. What is a bow? You know what namaste translates into in, in yogic terms? I salute the God within you. Well, the God within you is equal to the God within me. And so when we can live from that conscious place where we actually, instead of butting up against any type of authority, we open, we open to what is profound, forgive my language here, but we allow ourselves to be kind of humbled by the sacred, we can begin to engage. And so what does engagement at this level look like? Suzuki Roshi, I always use this quote, I love it so much, he says, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened people, there is only enlightened activity. This is what we're talking about here. This is what we're saying. In other words, that our activity, if our activity is inspired by all this stuff I've just been talking about, we begin to lead a life of practice. And practice itself is realization practice itself is about engaging the world from this place of openness, kindness, tenderness, but also diligence, that we have discipline, but there is a little fire. You know the quote um, Alfred Korzybski gives the map is not the territory. Well, this is one of the things that's so important as we start recognizing our lives, we start living our lives and participating in our lives from a place of clarity. That the picture we draw as to how we want it to look, how we want everything to work out, how we... That we start, if you will, doing away with maps. Not entirely, but we quit living buried and we begin to lift ourselves up, lift our vision, if you will, into a more expansive place by taking the backward step. The best example I can give of this is, consider the last time you were on um, a hike. I use this metaphor all the time, so forgive my looping here, but the last time you were on a hike and you looked up from your step to see a view. In that moment, the hike changed. Hopefully, it may not have. You may have just, mm-hmm. you know, gone right back to your uh, your your boots. This reminds me of one time uh, I saw. I was I was at the Grand Canyon, and I was so blown away by its majesty and its beauty. And I just absolutely was simultaneously horrified and I cracked up at this guy who was kind of driving his family through. It reminded me of the uh, Chevy Chase movie uh, where, where he, he stops at the Grand Canyon. He, All right, let's go, you know, that type of thing. It was it was that type of experience where the father was saying, guys, we got to go. And you get, you know, scrambling little kids running around. Daddy, nah. you know, they weren't interested necessarily in the view. The kids weren't. Um, and I think it, he was interested probably in getting a beer or something. I mean, I, I don't blame him, at least it was, it was pandemonium. But I remember thinking, I remember thinking to myself, everything's at Grand Canyon. Can we, can we stay with it long enough or are we just dashing? Are we constantly on the move? Can we lift our face off the map and begin looking at the territory. Can we begin meeting others with clarity? Can we have a very clear intention? Can we be clear about what we're trying to do? I sometimes challenge uh, people, you know, why are you here? Why are you here? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, meditation's cool. All right. It, that's a great reason. That's a great reason. It won't take you very far and usually those people, back to our issue of durability, their durability in the practice won't, won't hang. They won't be able to hang too long because the level of consciousness, the level of diligence the le- that they're bringing into it uh, might not be able to fuel what's needed. think if you were to ask anybody what their you know what did they really intend for their lives they'll usually say well you know I don't know fall in love once twice a few times you have some kids uh I don't know get a Ferrari <laughs> whatever it is for me it's a Ferrari just kidding they're too loud <laughs> what is it what would the Ferrari bring you? What would kids bring, you? What, would a relation, what would a new relationship bring you? What would a PhD bring you? If only I had, fill in the blank. If you look very carefully at that, what you will find is some external form that our ego has thrown out there as a way for us to find unquantifiably potent peace. If you had that Ferrari, that PhD, that new relationship, how long would that peace last? You recognize the temporary nature of of what this invitation would bring. What if you skip that step? What if your intention could be peace? What does that do to the way you engage the world? Allows you to make different choices. It inspires different choices. It inspires a different way of being, an entirely different order indeed. Entirely different order of being. You become a facilitator, an agent of generosity. So we let this peace, this non-completion, excuse me, this non-division, this total completion that's at the core of not only what we are but what we want. We let that begin to inspire. We let it guide our minds and our bodies into a place of engagement. Next, as I mentioned, um, commitment. I think on some level, We have to kind of commit to ourselves. And we can start small. I'm a big fan of that, actually. But really committing to awakening. That's why we're here. I mean, you can be here because you enjoy the community. That's valid. You can be here because you like meditating at least once a week, and this forces you to do it. That's totally valid. You can be here because you have a crush on somebody that's here, whatever it is. You can be here because I'm slightly more entertaining than what's on Monday night television until football rolls around and then, actually, there's no more Monday night football, is there? You have no excuse but to be here, actually. Am I right? It's Monday night football, it's off, it's now Sunday night football, does anybody know? Nobody cares even, okay. All right. It's just me. But this commitment really is quite simple. This diligence that I talk about, this resolve. I I had uh, uh, um, uh, a person explain that the only difference between a child and an adult was resolve. I thought this was fabulous. Incredible. It's an incredible way of looking at ourselves. Do you have it? Can you cultivate it? Can you begin to cultivate resolve? Buddhism is all about vows, ultimately, that we actually begin to take off once those vows are made. And as much as, you know, Mr. Rebel, uh, as much as I, I didn't like that at first, I utterly took it in. Vows help. They're incredibly powerful. What's yours? One of the things, um, when we lead lives of peace, of non-division, of completion, we recognize a certain fearlessness can inspire what it is that we do and who it is that we can become. And when we are fearless... When we can show up to our life, this whole idea, as I mentioned earlier, of hiding is something that's just anathema. It's, you don't hide. You call things as they are internally. Give some space around it. doesn't mean that you are busy pointing the finger at everybody else. Aha, I'm living very honestly and with integrity and resolve. I'm an adult, and I'm calling you on your stuff. That gets totally obnoxious. We have to actually do it in. At our interior first. What's hiding? What are you hiding from the world? You can see shadow in that capacity. And what are you hiding from yourself? Get intimate with that. Begin to engage that. Dance with that. It's fertile ground for spiritual realization. Next confluence. Where does it all meet? Where does it all come together? One of my favorite quotes uh, by Nizar Maharaj uh, is when I see I am nothing this is wisdom. When I see I am everything this is love. My life is a movement between these two. Beautiful Beautiful statement, and a great way of recognizing in very simple terms how our lives really are that, that that confluence between wisdom and compassion. Maybe I should say, our lives can be a conscious confluence between those two things. Meditation begins to show us this. We start seeing that things aren't exactly as they appear. Uh, there's some great lines uh, in relationship to this in, in uh, uh, Sanskrit. We say neti neti. Not this, not that. Lankavatara Sutra. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. We begin to become quite intimate with not knowing. We begin to get comfortable with the mystery. We begin to open ourselves to chaos instead of running and hiding from it. We see that indeed, it's all spirit. It's not just, to go Buddhist at you here for a second again. It's not just Nirmanakaya or gross realm, real world awakened experience. It's not just what we call the sambhogakaya, which is the subtle or the mind-related vision. If anybody has, for instance, a satori, they will have a visionary experience that points them in the direction of spirit. It is not enlightenment. It points us in the direction of enlightenment. It occurs in our mind. If you've had a dream that points you in a certain direction, this is the sambhogakaya. This is the subtle realm. After this, we go into the causal realm that we call the dharmakaya. It's formless. I call it the witness, as do all sorts of other great teachers. The seer. The opening. Being. That's on the causal level. And then we get into this really amazing space which is the svabhavi kakaya. And the svabhavi kakaya is non-dual. It's not this, it's not that. It's all things. It's spirit. Nothing is outside of that. And actually, this simple awareness is that. Awareness is the constant that carries us through kaya Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, and Nirmanakaya. Awareness is always present. Our stillness practice shows us this. We start recognizing that we are utterly and completely spirit in all its grace and all its activity of the time. As Tilar de Chardin says, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. From here, we begin to see that all is teaching, all is teacher, all is us or us is them. And living from this space consciously allows for us to be different agents of change. Our consciousness, our level of consciousness is actually much higher and our offering becomes something that while temporary is far more durable because it's far more compassionate. It's far more wise It is generous. It benefits all, including ourselves. But that's automatic, isn't it? If it's all spirit. We begin to carry this with our ethical code of generosity. This all-knowing experience that is supported by stillness and surrender and accountability manifests itself right back where we started at presence. That's the passage. And that's how we lead engaged lives. <laughs> of course, I could be wrong, just so you know. All that could be total bullshit. I just, I had to put something together, you know, so I figured that that would work, maybe. <laughs> that'll keep them will hold them <laughs> they'll attach to that <laughs> yeah not a question I just like the statement. make everything a Grand Canyon <clears throat> yeah yeah every, everything is spirit in action did I ever tell you this reminds me actually of the uh, the a uh, little Zen story where the the uh, the master is outside of the zendo urinating on the uh, Buddha statue, and the senior monk comes outside and says, "What are you doing, master? You can't do that. That you you're that's holy." And the master looks at him and says, "Oh, what's not holy?" <laughs> and so everything is holy. Everything is spirit and action. Everything is the Grand Canyon, right? <laughs> that said, I really hope Mark, you don't pee on just every. You don't. I'm just saying. I've been known to. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'll remember those two stories. The Grand Good. Canyon and the urine. U- urine. Yeah. Thank you, brother. You much. bet. <laughs> Scatological dharma. Yeah. Dharmakaya. Dharmakaya. Yes. The Dharmakaya. Sorry. Is that like when I'm when meditating with uh, the observer? Yeah. It has no form, does it, Kim? The observer? It's just watching. It's just watching, isn't just it? Aware. It's it's, it's just aware. And it's in the present. Mm-hmm. Is that like Dharmakaya? Dharmakaya, yeah, it tends to there there are different ways that it can show up experientially. Okay. okay? Um, and it can be different for different people, okay, but there actually can be a felt sense of a very deep causal experience, a kind of samadhi is what we would call it, a kind of state. Okay. Um, but the body itself is, believe it or not, never not experienced. You right now have all of those bodies at play. You are having a gross experience, recognizing we are all here in this room. You're having a subtle experience because you're thinking, right? You're having the causal experience because you are indeed hopefully able to kind of witness, if I call your attention to it, right? Yeah, I'm kind of witnessing what's going on. And what's the through line to all those things? Awareness, the svabhavi kakaya. The non-dual. Now the interesting thing here is that we can crudely say that the um, the Svobhavika Kaya is the source of the Dharmakaya or awareness is the source of the witness. That witness itself, whenever we have a witnessing experience where we can see what ego is doing, we're watching what ego is doing, all right, We can follow that witness to its core, and what we end up with is nothing. And it's very hard. The mind at this point goes, what? Excuse me? Okay. But that's precisely a a great pointer. That means that your mind is going, I'm not giving this up. That's good. Okay, and this is why meditation is so important. This is why, if we look at the component pieces, the component pieces of this passage, it's kind of supported in a way to allow for that realization of what we call body mind dropped. Nothing, there, yet I'm here. We start seeing that spirit is all one thing, but that it has really beautiful features. And you're one of them, as we, all are. as we all are. Everything's a Grand Canyon. Everything is holy. So what was the level above the down Canyon? It's called Svabavicakaya. <laughs> <laughs> right. svabavi kakaya. I just, <laughs> I totally made that up too. Yeah. Just say it after some wine. <laughs> Hey, how's your... Does not work in bars. I don't know where that came from. Sorry. Yes. Michael, if there's one awareness, one field, why are there barriers between you and I? Uh, God doesn't want to eat dinner alone. Is this the is and the is not conversation? can have is without the is not? Well, for instance, I mean, it's all one thing. It's all space, right? Y- yet no, there... I don't know. I'm, well, no, 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 I no. I truly don't know. No, let's because look at just... Referring to the awareness. The, the awareness. The Why am I not aware of you at the same... Why are we not mentally to let the thing or whatever? Why are we not connecting on that? Level? Why isn't there inner subjectivity? I was going to say that. I knew it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) To be quite honest with you, that's the great experiment. Not inner subjectivity as in I know what you are thinking, but that together, Sangha becomes the new Buddha. That sangha, if we begin to carry our awareness and literally use that diligence that I was speaking of, engage fully with each other in this experience, what happens is something quite remarkable. Uh, Some of you may have felt it in here before. Uh, Sometimes there is a linger. I don't know if after the talk, uh, it it just always cracks me up. Whenever there's a talk and for some reason it it almost feels like the talk kind of landed and everybody just goes... (laughs) And then I'll try to bust it up a little bit, which I shouldn't do probably, but I'll I'll say, you know, so any questions? And everybody's just kind of (laughs) like. Next time, what I'm going to try to do is just let that stay for a little bit. Because what that does is there is, you can, it's something you can, you can feel. Where we as a group begin to support each other in our support. Of realization of awareness. And that awareness carries everything with it. Have you ever noticed a great way to put it? Afterglow. Afterglow. It can happen sometimes after a meditation. But it's a very interesting thing when a group kind of is focused on the same thing on the same thing what can kind of happen you can you can feel this so is that intersubjectivity? no but is it something bigger than you yeah bigger than me yeah bigger than you and me yeah and robert i don't know if that answers your question really but that's my answer I'm sticking to it could you make up a word for it yeah <laughs> spiritual cofipulation <laughs> I hope I don't get that is it contagious <laughs> <laughs> yes my son <laughs> only if you're catholic Anyone else? Yeah, finally. Then you lost. <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty. Now, could you please leave? No, it's, it's a great question. It's a great question. Why is it that we feel... I mean, we can, we can practice all this oneness and so forth, but then divisions invariably, sh- you know, they'll show themselves. Well, divisions better show themselves because that's how the infinite expresses its glory. However, we are responsible, you and I, every one of us, right down to the level of ego, we are responsible with how we choose to deal with those differences. We either resist them, okay? We try to try to let them inform some type of repair or healing, okay? We accept them totally, or we bail. Those, I mean, those are our options, really, okay? And so what happens is, We have all this biological material, all these tools that show you're out there and I'm in here, right? And yet, deep spiritual work shows us repeatedly, without fail, that that is only part of the story. That the difference is only part of the story. Once we get to that space of recognizing, huh, that I'm only seeing part of the story... When we start opening to what's possible, okay, then our relationship with all previous conflict or all previous resistance can be adjusted. Actually, it adjusts itself in many respects. So basically, if you feel resistance for a person, a situation, a belief structure, whatever, you are feeling your own ego's skin. And it's not that it's a bad skin, but living within that skin will keep your view forever partial. And what we are trying to do here is, is actually bust through that, that skin, open to what's already always and already beyond it, and then re-informing our lives from, from that, that openness. And that's then how we engage. And it's possible. In fact, it's your birthright. You just got to really want this and you got to really practice and you got to be willing to make mistakes and then get right back on the horse. Is it also possible that the infinite is really chaos? Of course. The infinite is everything, right? What is the infinite not? What is not infinite? Afterglow. (laughs) Thank you.